I'm joined by Antima Crozelu Anelda from Saibai Island in the sidelines of a recent visit by the former Kiribati president and chairman of the Pacific Voice to Saibai and Buigu Islands in support for a move by elders of these islands to take the Australian government to court for lack of action to mitigate the effects of climate change. Antima Cross, thanks for joining us on NITV Radio and uh, what's your reflection on this development? Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. First and foremost, I would just like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the area uh, where we are at this morning and where I am here in Brisbane and calling on ancestors in this process um, of this particular issue, um, climate change. Yes, it was a great pleasure to have a the former leader of the Kiribati on the islands um, about a week ago. I think first time ever that um, one of the um, leaders from the Pacific came across to to uh, offer uh, and contribute and support this process for our low-lying islands, Saibai and Baigu. Um, I was there, of course, at that time, and uh, with all the deliberations and discussions in our communities um, about what, how we can negotiate with the government, um, along with the, the, the former leader, um, Anate Tong, uh, from Kiribati, with his uh, uh, support of negotiation with the Australian government in regards to the um, fossil and, and coal and um everything else that's happening in the country. And it was strongly, it was strongly urged uh, in a way that elders uh, uh, signed a statement to the government to demand immediate action or even an invite to the Prime Minister of Australia and the environmental ministers and, and the others, um, other ministers that are of um, interest to this issue, to the Torres Strait, to be able to see it for themselves on these low-lying islands of Saibai and Baigu. Anote Chong strongly uh, expressed how the contribution can be made from the Pacific, along with us in the Torres Strait, um, to support the movement uh, for this global warming um, issue on our islands. Yourself, you've been a long-time campaigner for action against climate change. You've uh, spoken at the UN, uh, in Paris, in New York, and many other forums, really talking to the global audience about uh, climate change, uh, especially how it affects your country. Can you tell us about the situation uh, nowadays uh, on country? I actually put uh, Torres Strait in a global picture in 2015 in Paris. Nobody knew about the Torres Strait Islands. Um, so that was very good in a way. There were a lot of questions asked for from the forum just about the locations and where they are and where they belong to. In, in my uh, journey on this issue along with, uh, with, uh, with others, I, I strongly expressed um, you know, the needs and that of our people in the Torres Strait and, and um, especially on these low-lying islands, um, how it has been affected by the, from the time, every time when I visited the islands. And of course, at this recent visit to the Torres Strait, I found it was, it's, 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 getting, it's not getting any better at all, if I can say that frankly. Um, government had spent so much money on building up the seawalls, but I would say very sincerely that 
those seawalls are not very effective at all because the winds in the Torres Strait are very, very treacherous as out of the weather patterns. It can change in a minute uh, when the sea rises and, and, and the storm comes and, and, and everything else, the waves toss on the, on the shores of the islands. They go over these uh, seawalls, so they're not very effective. I, I have experienced Recently, when I was up there last week, there was a big storm on Saibai Island. And I could see from the veranda where I was staying that um, the water was just over over the, over the walls. And it was actually very, very frightening. Uh, it was, it was um, water was actually on the road up to the knee. You know, when you go out, out to the road, you can't even get in the car because the, the water was so high. So I would think that, you know, this, this time, it, it is a very serious, um, serious outcome from daily, every day, and talking to the people on the islands, they have seen the changes on the high tides, the winds, the pattern of the tides and the, and the, um, and the currents. It had affected, um, of course, the garden parts. They're severely damaged. We no longer plant anything in the garden. I have to remind our listeners that the Torres Strait Islands are located between Australia and Papua New Guinea. From the dozens of islands in the area, only 17 are inhabited. And out of those 17, half of them are already inundated. Yes. Now, these are only the top western islands of the Torres Strait, those low, two low-lying islands, Saibai and Boigu. And of course, you know, there is one island on the top, it's called Duan. And Duan has also had the erosions on the shores, and it's a hilly, hilly island. But there's also damage there. And then, of course, we got central islands in the Torres Strait, which are the Atoll Islands. Now, that would be, they would be in a very severe kind of situation in this monsoonal season, because they're right in the middle, and, you know, and they're so far away from the mainland, like, like all of us. We have, for us, Boigu and Saibai, we have got the Papua New Guinea, which is not that far. If there was something that happens, and uh, the people that would come to our rescue would be the, would be from Papua New Guinea, not Australia, because we are 45 minutes on the air, and there's no boats in the Torres Strait or Passions of Liner. Uh, they're all just just a, a small aircrafts that service the islands. So I would say if there was any any um, any um, urgent, um, you know, say the water go high tide come up over the over the over our islands, Papua New Guinea would be the closest for us. And this is central to the two elders' concerns. I mean, the two uh, elders who are taking the government to court because uh, the situation is so dire that the population are facing the possibility of becoming climate refugees. Of course, of course, that is very very true. Now, these two, these two uncles, um, they are brothers. They are very, very, <clears throat> I must say that I was honored that they have taken this challenge. It's a big challenge ahead, you know, as you and I know and the others, that it's not just a short-term decision or anything else. It's a, it's a long process of that, but they've taken that on board, of course, with the support from the, from the communities on those islands to support them strongly in their movement and, and the people that are involved, you know, the legal people from the um, legal agencies that are involved in this issue. 
I, for one, as an elder, as a Territorial Islander, I'm very supportive of that. And I'm also, along with the others, determined to challenge or even to negotiate strongly with the government in a way uh, how best that we can accommodate this. This is an urgent matter. It's not a matter that it can be resolved that, uh, you know, in a way that uh, how the, uh, you know, the situation is currently. I think the government, the government of Australia should take a really strong action in a way of uh, looking at those islands and visit those islands and sit with the people and the elders and see it for themselves, how it affects those islands. And if I can also add in a way that this monsoonal season is almost overdue. Normally our monsoonal season will be over by now. But when I was up there recently, the pattern of it is just so different. It's, it's storm and lightning and, 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 and real t- uh, torrential rain and, and, and the old land and the earth was all soaked up. And as we were walking through that, it, it, bad enough, you look from the air, there's more water than land on these islands. But then, of course, landing and walking along, it's, it's absolutely drenched. It is a very severe uh, situation out there. And do you think the government is working and hard enough with traditional owners who are the people most impacted by this situation and uh, the most at risk? Well, um, I think they're doing all their best they can, but they're not doing enough, if I can say. My main um, concern is, like, you know, of course, government in, in its, in its own um, policies and decision-making and everything else that they would look into. Well, I hope that they are um, seriously looking into these, these um, issues on the islands. However, that, you know, my main, um, main request would be to the government is, or, is to go up there uh, and see it for themselves. Then they can see why is it so important for our people and they probably will feel it. This is how it is, you know, um, because making decisions from Canberra or anywhere else is not not um, not good because you need to get up there and see it for yourselves. I mean, you know, uh, Torres Islanders are uh, uh, Labour voters, most of them, and we have a great courage with with the Labour government. And I, w- I would uh, I would really seriously hope and. And, and that the, the the heads of this government, you know, be able to to seriously consider the action as quick as possible in a way our best, you know. But I I must say that and reiterate it very strongly: those sea walls are not effective. We need to do more to 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 um, uh, survive those people on those islands. I think the government should really take action on it. Uh, seriously. Yeah. Now, I was looking at your biography and uh, notes, uh, especially when you received a prestigious accolade in uh, Queensland. Uh, it is said that your own family left Saibai Island in the 1940s because of uh, king tides that were causing uh, tremendous damage to the properties. Uh, that's several decades already. That is very correct. And I'm a recipient of that, and like the others are now settled up on the tip of Australia, Bamaga and Saisia. Now, my father was very instrumental in this, in this movement, along with the other elders and clan groups of, of Saibai Island, because they can see it in 1940s, the, you know, the, the impact on those islands and, and how it's going to be in, in, in years to come. So that decision was, was made there then to be able to negotiate with the government to see where we can 
we can uh, leave our leave our homelands and, and and try and go and seek a better life somewhere else and to be supportive in the years to come when looking back to Saibai. And I think that's why I was so instrumental in this movement was because of my father's influence on all of us to say that as we were growing up on the Cape and going through the education and, and, and going away from the from the uh, from from Saisia to um, Melbourne to uh, further education, and he always say say that one day when you are able to when you get in the position what you want to do in your life, you must not forget Saibai uh, in your in your capacity. But I, I that kind of thing really instilled in my in my in my head through my career path. I think that's why I was so strong. I pick up this at the earliest stage in 1980s and um, to be able to, what I can do to support the leaders of the Torres Strait in my own independent way. Yes, that migration was made because they knew that there will be a severe impact in years to come. And the results of that is today, as you can see, plainly it's there. you can't really overlook overlook that situation because it is really happening, yes. So I can deduct that you became climate refugees already in the 1940s, so many years ago. So the phenomenon of climate refugees was happening already before we started talking about it in the media. Yes, it's really happening. And I've seen it through my time when I joined the public service. That was back in back in 1980s. And... Um, even there, then I was traveling up to the islands um, from time to time, and and I could see that it was changing all the time. The pattern of the wind and the weather, everything else was changed, and the lifestyle also was changed. Now, if I can also say today, it was really sad in a way that our people on the islands are now dependent with the with the with the uh, supermarkets to buy their food, whereas before. It was a garden, all fresh veggies and food and seafood and everything else. You know, people are, are people, the life uh, sustainability uh, from the land and the sea was, was, was fruitful. Everything was really good and nobody got sick anyway, you know, in those times. But now today, we have the highest number of health conditions of hypertension, diabetes, kidney diseases everything else on the islands. And like I said, no more gardening. So they had to go to the supermarket to buy all needs that comes in every every week to the islands, uh, to, um, uh, to the shops. So they're not depending on the land anymore. They can't plant because there's more salt, more salt than it is. You can't really grow many crops or even use the land productively. When it's covered by seawater, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, Auntie Macros, any parting thoughts before I let you go? Yes, there is a closing thought, my dear. I would, I would really uh, ask the government to really consider, you know, the, um, you know, the fuel, fossils, emissions, and coals, and everything else that's affecting this climate change. That we want to uh, stay below this um, uh, 1.5 degrees Celsius or two point whatever it is you know, below this, because the world is heating up, and I, I could feel it, the weather is thing. I would urge the government to take a immediate action, if they can, and um, 
and very, very um, strongly, I would I would ask them to visit the islands, visit the islands and sit for themselves, and also um, encouraging our communities back on Cyber and Boigu to support brothers uh, Paul and Pabai in their movement on this uh, particular issue, and for the um, the legal legal team that is supporting supporting them at uh, this uh, time that we are really privileged and honored that we know that they're doing everything possible in their ability to see what action can be taken. Auntie McCrose, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us on NITV Radio today. Thank you very much.